Welcome to this week's episode of London Heal. I am your host, Tatiana Kosesanov. I'm very excited to have this episode because it's something that I'm particularly interested in. And more importantly, it's also in answer to a request from one of our listeners. And I very much like to honor the requests of our listeners where at all possible. And the subject for this week is medicinal mushrooms. And no, not the sort of mushrooms that everybody's thinking about, but the other sort of mushrooms that actually can be really good for your health. And therefore, I am very excited and honored to um, welcome as my guest this week, Martin Powell. Martin is a Chinese herbalist, a biochemist, and an author. He helped set up the Chinese Herbal Medicine MSc program at the University of Westminster and lectured there from 2002 to 15. He has also lectured at the University of the Western Cape in South Africa, as well as Ireland and Portugal. He's authored many um, uh, books, a couple including Medical Mushrooms, A Clinical Guide, and Medical Mushrooms, The Essential Guide. In addition to his more than 20 years of experience as a practitioner of Chinese medicine, an educator and author, he also consults for natural product industry. He established Pure Health Limited in 1997 to import natural health products predominantly unavailable or very scarce in the UK. So with that wonderful background in this amazing subject, welcome Martin and thanks for taking the time to speak to me today. You're very welcome Tatiana. So Martin, tell us a little bit about your story. What, what got you into, into the world of Chinese medicine in the first place? Well, I actually studied biochemistry uh, at university. But I have the same why? pain. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it wasn't. It, it, yes, there's an awful lot of uh, knowledge, but I, I found this at the same time incredibly rewarding. And what I loved about it was the overview that it gave you of the body and its beautifully balanced systems. You know, the way one pathway regulates another pathway, and so we have this fantastically evolved and beautiful organism uh, that is our body. And I love that, um, you know, that aspect of it. But I really wasn't interested in spending the rest of my life in a laboratory, you know, looking at test tubes and uh, agar plates. So uh, I was much more interested in Chinese uh, culture at that time in my life and Chinese philosophy. So I traveled um, in Asia for a while and ended up in in Taiwan, where I studied Chinese. And so I developed an increasing uh, understanding of Chinese culture and decided then to pursue that with a study of Chinese medicine. Mm -hmm. So I went on to study Chinese uh, acupuncture, um, Chinese massage, and Chinese herbal medicine. And of course, mushrooms have always been part of Chinese herbal medicine since you know, since its earliest days. So, yeah, they were always there, but they were never a, a prominent part of the syllabus. They never played a particularly important role in any of the formulae that Chinese uh, Chinese herbs, Chinese medicine uses. So it was quite a, um, a uh, an eye-opener for me when a few years later I was back in Taiwan and looked up one of my friends from when I'd been studying Chinese there before and found out that he had a company which was solely distributing mushroom products for people with chronic health conditions, um, particularly cancer. And he was about to go to Australia and launch his company's products over there. So he gave me a speech he was going to give at the launch of the business in Australia. And the English there needed some improvement. So, so I gave it back to him after having made the necessary changes. And he was horrified. He'd been about to stand up and give this talk in Australia. And he did not talk the Queen's English. <laughs> and so he asked me to come and work for the company to help with the English language materials and bring them up to, up to the standard that he, he wanted. So I ended up working for this mushroom company in Taiwan. <laughs> And during the course of that uh, period of time, I obviously learned much more about mushrooms and was introduced to some of the research that had been carried out in in Japan in particular um, and also in, in mainland China. And so 
that really opened my eyes to their possibility clinically. So when I was then back in the UK and you know, setting up my own practice, I started to use mushrooms as part of my treatment uh, protocols much more uh, with my patients. And so, you know, it uh, led on, you know, one thing led on uh, to another and um, yeah, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great journey. I, I, you know, it's always um, it's always interesting to see people's journeys and and how they evolve. Sometimes it's accidental. Sometimes, oftentimes, <laughs> in the case of uh, of um, let us say alternative practitioners or complementary practitioners, it's usually as a result of probably trying to solve their own problems that they that they get involved with these fields. But um, fascinating journey. One thing that I'd be very interested to know, my relatively limited understanding of Chinese medicine is of course that it is a holistic approach so you're looking not purely at the biochemistry of the body but you're looking at the energetics of the body the flow of qi the flow of everything that's a whole system when Chinese herbalists use um, remedies mushrooms or otherwise are they sort of prescribed in the same way as um, a western prescription that it's viewed purely as something that works at this biochemical level or is there something else involved in in the Chinese way of doing these things? Well classically Chinese herbal medicine's diagnosis is not based on a like a nutritional analysis or Mm -hmm. a, a biomedical understanding of disease processes. Chinese medicine works on an energetic um understanding of the body and of disharmonies within the body. Mm-hmm. So you would diagnose a uh, somebody as having a condition caused by an excess of cold or an excess of heat due to the blockage in the flow of blood or the flow of energy around the body and particular organ disharmonies. So you may feel that this pattern of symptoms is related to what is considered to be the liver in Chinese medicine. It's always difficult using these terms because the Chinese, the liver in Chinese medicine is not the same as the liver in Western medicine. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's an overlap, so there's some, you know, there's, there's some commonality there, but Chinese concept of the liver is far broader than the Western concept of the liver. It includes a relation to the, uh, to the eyes, uh, to, the, uh, to the head, to aspects of digestion, um, which wouldn't classically be considered as part of, the, or even, um, you know, muscul- musculoskeletal problems that would not classically be considered to be related to the liver from a Chinese, from a Western point of view. But Chinese medicine you know, comes up with an, a diagnosis of a, an underlying pattern of disharmony in the body from which all of the symptoms manifest. Mm-hmm. And it may be that in Western medicine, you would see symptoms as unrelated. So you might see you know, migraine headaches and irritable bowel syndrome as being unrelated. Mm-hmm. But in Chinese medicine, they would both be seen or could both be seen as stemming from a pattern of liver disharmony. Mm-hmm. So you come up with an energetic imbalance there's too much heat, too much colds, you know, things aren't, you know, there's too little uh, moistening, there's too much uh, uh, dynamic energy in a particular organ. And then you will prescribe accordingly the herbs. So herbs will be prescribed not because they have certain chemical constituents, because of course, when Chinese medicine was evolving, there wasn't an understanding of individual chemical components what there was was an understanding of the energetic properties of the herbs Mm -hmm. so certain herbs have a heating aspect to them certain herbs have a cooling aspect to them certain herbs will work more on the heart and certain herbs will work more on the liver or the lungs so bearing in mind the pattern of disharmony that has been diagnosed and the organs involved herbs will be selected according to their energetics so they would you'd use cooling herbs for a condition characterized characterized by heat, and if the condition affected the lungs, you would use herbs which also affected the lungs. So you will come up with a, a combination of herbs 
based on an energetic understanding of the underlying disharmony that the person was suffering from, as well as the energetics of the herbs themselves. Of course, now as we understand more, we learn more about the chemistry of the herbs, what we find very often is that the chemical constituents, the key active uh, compounds from the herb, do of course have the impact on the organ that was described by traditional Chinese energetics. Mm -hmm. And very often they're just reinforcing each other. And they're really talking about the same thing, but using different languages. Right. So, I mean, I still have that you know, background as a biochemist or background in biochemistry. So, sometimes my approach to a, a patient will be informed more by a biomedical understanding of what's going on. And sometimes the energetic pattern of disharmony will be more prominent in mm -hmm. terms of uh, the uh, the most important, uh, the, the best way to approach the condition. So I, 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 you know, I wear two hats and uh, it depends which one I think is most going to be most beneficial for the particular person. As a biochemist, in fact, how, how did you manage to kind of cross that bridge into understanding the body as an energetic system? Because that's pretty contrary to what one learns as a classical biochemist. I mean, you know, we, we modern medicine, Western medicine these days use everything in terms of chemistry and genes and interaction with proteins and everything's just a biochemical system. So how, how is that, how were you, you, you able to kind of cross that intellectual gap, let us say? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I I think about it as uh, looking. You're 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 talking about the same thing. You're talking about the human body and its um, functioning, and but you're using you're coming at it from a totally di a different perspective. You know, whereas in biochemistry you're looking at it on a molecular level, uh, or you know, um, yes, and a molecular level, an atomic level. Uh, you're looking at it from the smallest particle from the point of view of Chinese medicine. You're looking at it from the overall, the functioning of the overall system mm -hmm. and its interrelation to the wider environment you know, right. beyond it. So you're looking at the same thing, but you're, you're looking at it almost from a different end of the telescope. Mm -hmm. you know, whereas biochemistry starts from the small and works up to the, the big from the point of view of Chinese medicine, you're starting out with the overall uh, picture and then looking down into individual organ systems and individual um, aspects of the functioning of the body, not on a molecular level, but in terms of functioning of different organ systems. So you're, you're, you're just, I, I didn't find it too much of a, a, a struggle. You're always like, you keep two different vocabularies in your head mm -hmm. and two different approaches. And sometimes, you know, you look, you, you zoom in, you know, on the sort of biomedical detail, the molecular detail. And sometimes it's helpful to zoom out. And sometimes it's helpful to do both. Mm -hmm. So you always have to consider the overall uh, person and their uh, function, their interaction with their environment. Uh, the interaction from the mental emotional uh, component also as well as the physical side so bearing in mind that overall uh, functioning of the system and interac interaction with elements of our environment it i think gives a wonderful foundation but sometimes it can be very useful to have a detailed understanding of molecular uh, chemistry Right. on a cellular level also to understand more about what's gone wrong if that's where the root of the problem is or if that's an important aspect of the of the dysfunction which is leading to the symptoms the person is suffering from mm -hmm. i understand understand and also in fact i mean the way the way i rationalize it as a as a classically trained chemist myself i like every single chemical reaction is an energetic exchange anyway isn't it it's just looking at it, as you said, at a, at a molecular level. Um, so let's get back into the, into the mushrooms. Um, 
as I mentioned to you when I when I wrote to you in, inviting you on the podcast, I had noticed myself that there was um, an increasing number of these um, supplements, let's say, available in all of the health food stores. And I was standing there looking at this range of, of different mushrooms. And I just thought, I have absolutely no idea what any of these things do. But I was very struck by... Um, the definitions and actually also the some of the shapes and the forms of, of these mushrooms they were pictured on the on the packaging and I was you know this is supposed to be good for the psyche and the brain and everything and it looks like a little brain and you think wow that's so cool um how how um how are they actually specifically implemented in your practice? So if we could maybe go through some of the main groups of mushrooms and if you could just tell us a little bit about what they're useful? Well, when, when thinking about mushrooms and their, their health benefits, it's helpful, I think, to break them down or consider them into uh, categories. Mm -hmm. The first category are those which are common to all mushrooms. So all mushrooms, as part of their cellular structure, they contain long-chain polysaccharides, Mm -hmm. beta-glucans and proteoglycans or protein-bound polysaccharides. Mm -hmm. And every mushroom has these because every mushroom has a rigid cell wall and the rigid cell wall is made up as well as other compounds of these long these polysaccharides, um, beta-glucans, proteoglycans. So all mushrooms contain these compounds which have two uh, there are two aspects uh, to them as far as their impact on the body. One, they have a, a prebiotic effect on the gut. So these compounds have been shown to induce changes in the gut flora, which are broadly in line with what we would consider, we would look for from a prebiotic. So increases in population of healthy bacteria, decreases in population of harmful bacteria. And... Um, decreases in short-chain fatty acids, etc. Mm. So they have a prebiotic effect on the gut, but as well as that, they also have a specific ability to bind to key receptors on the surface of major categories of immune cells, so macrophages, natural killer cells, dendritic cells, etc. They have binding sites for these compounds, and binding of these compounds uh, to... Um, the receptors induces broad-based um, modulation of the immune response. So in cases where the immune system is deficient or is suppressed, either due to lifestyle, health, age, or disease, you know, whether chronic viral conditions or cancer, mm -hmm. uh, the immune system is able to, uh, you see improvements in the function of the immune system in response to supplementation with these compounds but also in cases where the immune system is overactive so where you already have excessive levels of cytokine production or specific populations of immune cells you see the you can see reduction in the immune activity the, the overactive aspects of the immune system so rather than saying that these compounds have a stimulant effect or they boost the immune system, it's more accurate to say they modulate the immune response. So they help to restore, if you like, healthy immune function. So the immune modulatory activity of mushrooms is shared by all mushrooms. So extracts from over 650 different mushroom species have been looked at and have been shown to have immune and logical activity. So that's not something which varies from one species to another species. Uh, that's common to all mushroom species. So that's the first half, if you like, of the mushrooms therapeutic or uh, activity or health benefits. The other aspect is that mushrooms, along with other fungi, produce a very diverse range of secondary metabolites. So, of course, in some cases, the, those compounds are toxic. So... There are mushrooms, you know, which are, of course, uh, very harmful and um, 
and they should be avoided. And that's because some of the compounds they produce are severely uh, toxic, either you know, hepatotoxic or they, they damage the kidneys. So that's one aspect of uh, mushrooms, pharm the pharmacological activity of compounds produced by mushroom. mushrooms. Another aspect, of course, is the hallucinogenic properties of some of these compounds so the common concept of magic mushrooms right. is uh, also another example of the profound uh, impact in this case mental emotional impact of some of these compounds mm -hmm. so we can see from those examples that many of these compounds are very strongly active on the body and it's not just in these uh, two cases though that uh, the mushrooms produce compounds which have um, strong activity on different of our physiological systems there are also many cases where the compounds are very beneficial in terms of overall health one of the most widely distributed compounds in mushrooms and other fungi is lovastatin mm -hmm. so lovastatin of course you know, very widely prescribed for cholesterol control, mm -hmm. is originally isolated from species of fungi. No, I did not know that. <laughs> so there were two groups of researchers in London and in Japan who isolated it around the same time, and they isolated it from species of penicillium. Mm -hmm. So they isolated it and um, looked at its activity. And the group in London, you know, their paper, they don't talk about its impact on cholesterol metabolism. They talk about its antifungal properties. Mm -hmm. Because that's why mushrooms and other fungi produce most of these compounds, because they help them to compete with other microorganisms for food, for um, uh, for substrates for, uh, to help them to avoid also being eaten by um, other fungi right. or by bacteria or by nematode worms or you know, by other uh, microorganisms. Because if you think about the environments that mushrooms live in, mm -hmm. they live in the soil, they live in rotting matter, uh, where there are billions of microorganisms. They're competing very often for substrates. So, of course, in order to help them in that environment, they've evolved this capacity to produce many antimicrobial compounds. So, and these have, many of them have um, surprising sometimes impacts on our physiology. So, that some of them are toxic, some of them are hallucinogenic, some of them uh, impact on cholesterol uh, metabolism. Uh, and the fact that they do this is in some way a pointer to the relatively close evolutionary history between animals and fungi. Right. Because if we think, if we look at the different kingdoms, we have the animal kingdom, we have the plant kingdom, and we have the fungal kingdom, mm -hmm. which of course is a whole separate kingdom of so living it's a organisms. It's unto itself, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it, is a, it is a fascinating place. <laughs> But they, if we look at the time, we see that the fungal kingdom and animal kingdom evolved together for several hundred million years after they had diverged from the, the plants had diverged. Mm -hmm. So plant chemistry is a lot more distinct mm -hmm. than uh, and a lot further removed from our own uh, metabolism, our own uh, chemistry than fungal chemistry. Mm -hmm. okay. So the fact that we co-evolved with fungi for uh, several hundred million years after we diverged from the plant kingdom you know, is probably the reason why many of these compounds produced by fungi also show strong physiologic, physiological activity. And those compounds, these, these, secondary, these antimicrobial secondary metabolites are in some cases widely distributed like lovastatin. Mm -hmm. yeah, so many different, many mushroom species, reishi, oyster mushrooms, um, almond mushrooms, uh, buna shimeji, brown beech mushroom, they all have low, produced lovastatin in different uh, con quantities. But some of the compounds are much more specific to individual species or to groups of species. Mm -hmm. 
So some cordyceps species produce cordycepin, which is a, an anti-inflammatory um, hormone regulating anti-cancer um, compound, um, or, which is now being researched um, for its potential in cancer treatment and also in arthritis treatment. Mm-hmm. So that's produced by you know, just a few um, uh, species uh, of cordyceps. Or in lion's mane, uh, which is one of the most, probably the most popular mushroom in the retail sector at the moment, because of its ability to promote the generation of nerve growth factor. Mm-hmm. So lion's mane produces two families of active compounds, the arinocenes and the hericinones, which have both been shown to promote the generation of nerve growth factor, which, as its name suggests, helps to promote nerve repair and regeneration. So this opens up interesting possibilities for supplementation in neurodegenerative conditions, such as dementia, um, Alzheimer's. And as these are increasingly common and um, major areas for health concern, it really opens up some interesting possibilities uh, for supplementation. For sure, yeah, yeah. Especially as neurological diseases are are definitely on the rise and uh, um, that would be an interesting approach. It it begs a little bit the question again going back because I, like you, have also had a traditional education. When these substances are actually kind of researched, they're usually broken down and separated out and an active ingredient is researched. Is your feeling that this isolation of an active component does not have the same effect or has a different effect to using a whole mushroom? When you were talking before about all of the other compounds, um, you would imagine that taking the natural form, be it dried or fresh, would actually give you much more of a kind of a, a chemical palette of things that perhaps interact in a different way in the body rather than a single purified substance. Yes. No, very, very much so. You know, it, it's. You know, I, I think it's important to be aware to it's not to under not to downplay the importance of specific active compounds from mushrooms because, or from other herbs mm-hmm. because, you know, it's very clear that in, in mushrooms there are specific compounds or specific classes of compound which are. Uh, are effective but if you try to take one of those compounds and isolate it yes you're going to be losing out on a lot of the um, other compounds and there is certainly some evidence to suggest that taken together they can have a greater impact than any uh, one of the compounds on their own one of the classic examples of that is going back to lovastatin so lovastatin as i mentioned is found in a number of mushroom species is also found in other yeast species. And the major uh, category of lovastatin-containing fungal uh, supplement is red yeast rice. Mm-hmm. So red yeast rice is a fungal species, uh, Monascus purpureus, and that has been uh, extensively researched and compared to prescription uh, statins, so levastatin, simvastatin. Mm-hmm. And what they see there is that the impact of red yeast rice on cholesterol is greater than an equivalent dose of the prescription statin. Mm-hmm. So taking the whole um, organism, because it's not just, in that case, the levastatin. There are other uh, similar compounds, as well as sterols and polysaccharides, again, beta-glucans, all of which have a synergistic effect on the cholesterol level. So that's a very clear example where isolating one compound will give you some of the activity in that regard, but taking the whole organism together will give you a, 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 a greater uh, effect in its physiological 
um, impact. Another example, you're going back to the immune, immunological activity of mushrooms, because they work across a number of different receptors, at least six different receptors have binding sites for these compounds. So they don't have an imbalanced effect on the immune system. It's almost like our immune system has evolved a capacity to recognize and respond appropriately to these compounds. Whereas if you try to target just one of these receptors, then you're going to have an imbalanced effect, impact on the immune system. So one once when I gave a talk to a group of medical oncologists, one of them afterwards asked a question about, well, he said uh, he was involved in a clinical trial for an agonist to one of the toll-like receptors, and they had to stop the trial because of the high level of side effects. Right. So you know, he asked me my opinion about that in relation to mushrooms. And I said, well, of course, it's, yeah, you, you, that's what you'd expect in a way because you're using an agonist for one receptor, which is not how the immune system works. You know, the immune system is a very complex, inter, uh, self-regulating almost um, combination of different cells uh, with many different uh, receptors involved producing and different uh, chemical messengers. And because the immune system has evolved a capacity to recognize and respond appropriately to these cell wall components from mushrooms and other fungi, it has done so, evolved a capacity to respond to them in a balanced way. Right. Whereas if you're just going to target one of those receptors and stimulate it, its uh, activity, that's not going to have nearly the same impact and quite possibly will produce uh, excess levels of immune activation in a narrow sector, which are going to produce side effects, you know, as, as he saw. So we're working, you know, we have with mushrooms and the immune system, we are fortunate to have a, a category of supplements that our immune system has evolved an innate capacity to recognize and respond to appropriately. So it's not, you don't ever see um, you know, excessive levels of immune activity or uh, very few side effects. Right. I mean, the, the body's kind of natural primary program is, is, is homeostasis, isn't it? It's always trying to maintain balance and restore balance. And if, exactly as you said, if you sort of trust a single system, there's going to be another system somewhere else which is going to try and compensate. And if it's a single, single chemical, sometimes that ability to fully compensate it is, is beyond the normal homeostasis function of the body. I, I, that's what I love about the idea of taking whole supplements because I think nature knows best, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, very, you know, very much. Uh, so, yeah, you know, unfortunately, the pharmaceutical model of regulation and licensing rely, requires. Um, identified single compounds and you know it's not it's not you know i wouldn't um you know underplay the importance of those compounds in you know in uh, in um in health but it's not they're not working as you say with the body's natural uh, processes to help to restore homeostasis uh, they can be good at uh, correcting you know or stopping um major uh, disease processes, um, mm -hmm. if you like, but in terms of actually restoring function, then yes, not so, uh, not so good at that. Right. And mushrooms are great at that. Mm -hmm. So I, I always, think, yeah. Sorry, uh, one one thing I've noticed that's coming up a lot in the literature at the moment in many different um, areas of of, of health, and I'm looking at perhaps a more kind of a holistic health concept of hormesis. Um, that you can actively stress body in some way um, and instead of it actually being a sort of a negative stressor, it's actually a positive stressor that the body then can come back stronger than it was before. I mean, that's sort of the, essentially the principle of exercise, right? that you 
cause strain and muscle breakdown, but then when the body recovers and builds back up, it's stronger than it was before. Is there sort of like a hormetic component to something like mushrooms that simply because you actually mentioned the fact that so many um, mushrooms contain agents which are essentially toxic, but perhaps if you were to take them at a level that weren't toxic, but was enough to kind of stress the body that that in itself also has a healing effect? I, that's not, I don't see that as playing an important role in, right. um, in mushrooms because the mushrooms which we use therapeutically are not mushrooms which are, uh, which are toxic. Right. So there are some practitioners who do work with mushrooms, toxic mushrooms, homeopathically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, yes, you have the possibility you know, for to have that type of uh, effect. But the vast majority of the mushrooms which are used therapeutically are, you know, are not toxic. They are, in many cases, edible mushrooms, culinary mushrooms. Right. And, you know, they... The, 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 they, they don't, I think, work um, in the same way. Right, right. The question that was raised by, by um, um, one of the listeners who actually wanted to know more about this is, is exactly the same position that I found myself in, which is you go into a natural food store or a health food store and you, and you see this bank of, of supplements and you don't know where to start. <laughs> how, how does the, uh, the layperson... Um, know which supplement to choose and is that even something which is recommended or is this field of supplementation something which perhaps does require a a practitioner in between to guide you in the right direction or can they really be used just to you know self-prescribe essentially well i think mushrooms can certainly be used to uh if you like self-prescribe it totally depends on you know, why you're taking them. Mm-hmm. I think if you have a, um, a serious health condition mm-hmm. or you have, a, you, know, uh, you, know, you have a health condition, then you would always be advised to get uh, advice right. from somebody who is qualified rather than uh, self-prescribing. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking to use them to support your health and well-being, mm-hmm. then absolutely, I don't think you need you know, anybody to uh, prescribe them for you in that case. So yes, if you're looking at mushrooms you know, for just supporting your your health and well-being, then it can be, you know, as you say, uh, very um, bewildering. And my approach has always, you know, as a practitioner, has always been really to um, you know, not give to to minimise what people take. And so I think that in many cases, the best way to take mushrooms is just to eat them as part of of your diet. (laughs) So very often, um, you know, people have heard me talk, I often will say that the, uh, uh, you know, the message of the talk today is just to, you know, eat more mushrooms. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Because there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, evidence that just dietary, regular dietary consumption of mushrooms can have a, um, a very positive impact on our health, on, on our uh, immune system. And because many of these mushrooms are culinary mushrooms, right. then it, it's a logical way to do it. I mean, I don't think I don't think health should come out of a bottle. Right. Uh, I think really it's very important for people to know that their body, as you mentioned earlier, has this natural desire towards homeostasis and that we just have to make sure that we uh, try to minimize the stresses upon it, which are taking it away from a point of homeostasis by trying to um, live in a more balanced, harmonious fashion. And then as long as we look after, we, 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 we take adequate rest, we take adequate exercise, we have adequate uh, you know, nutrition, um, then it can maintain that. It doesn't need, you don't need a bottle, you don't need a pill to keep you healthy. Right. The body knows how to do that itself. 
and but definitely you know to uh, help in part of that you know health you know maintenance you know just eating more mushrooms can play a very positive role you know they don't contain you know sugars they they do contain a lot of fiber they do contain these important immunological activity uh, immunological uh, complex with important immunological activity they do have prebiotic effects uh, on the gut they do contain you know um compounds which also sometimes have other benefits in terms of having a calming effect on the nervous system um or having a detoxifying effect in terms of the liver Mm-hmm. So there are many, many other compounds. So I would just very often say, rather than looking at a bottle, look at uh, the, the the shelves in terms of the, uh, the dietary component. I think the um, problem for many people. I mean, you know, I'm fortunate enough to to live in in London, so it's it's almost you know it's so easy to find everything here because it's a big metropolis but for people perhaps living somewhere a little bit more isolated where you go into the supermarket and your choice is these lovely white you know <laughs> little buckets <laughs> where, where you just look at them and you just think oh they, they look like they contain nothing you know <laughs> they've been so bred I mean uh, the diversity well, is growing it, a little but um, that's certainly the, kind, the only sort of mushroom I grew up with you know Yes, well, like likewise, but I mean, even those mushrooms are not without benefit because, again, they do they do contain, um, you know, their, their the polysaccharides from their cell wall do 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 have been shown to have immuno, immunological activity. They've been also shown to have be have they've also been shown to have anti aromatase activity. Okay. So, white button mushrooms, although yes, not as healthy for you as some other mushrooms are not totally without benefit so and they can also provide vitamin d right you know as you probably mentioned uh, aware that although it is d2 isn't it it is d2 but you know mushrooms do contain uh, d2 after on exposure to uv light Mm -hmm. so they have to be you know put on the windowsill for you know half an hour or so in direct sunlight um, to convert the ergosterol into vitamin D2. Mm-hmm. But yes, yeah, so they can be beneficial from that regard um, as well. So yes, you, I, I know, uh, uh, yeah, just not, not to totally um, discount white button mushrooms <laughs> in terms of health benefits. But yes, the more, the wider you, the more mushrooms you can eat, the more varieties. So you can get, you can order them now you know, online. There are even companies in the UK that will ship, ship you fresh maitake mushrooms, fresh mm-hmm. shiitake mushrooms. Um, you can even get fresh lion's mane uh, mushrooms in the UK now, or you can get them dried. And right. if you have the get the dried mushroom and then rehydrate it, you're going to have really pretty much the same level of activity as the fresh mushroom. Right. So it's not that um, you know you lose any of the activity by drying and rehydrating. So you can get, of course, dried shiitake, you can get dried uh, snow fungus, you know, dried wood ear, dried cordyceps militaris, even um, in Chinese herbal supermarkets or online uh, very, uh, very easily, or in a powdered form. Mm-hmm. You know, so again, you can get the powdered mushroom and use that as an addi- addition to smoothies or and put mix it into juices or put it into stews um so again there are different ways that you can uh, access uh, the mushrooms or a wider selection of mushrooms to use them as part of your uh, regular uh, dietary intake one thing I, i would say i would always encourage people though to cook the mushrooms right because mushrooms Uh, in some cases, well, in all cases, cooking helps to disrupt the cellular structure of the mushroom and helps to um, release the more soluble compounds from the mushroom. And also, in some cases, mushrooms, even common culinary mushrooms, do contain toxic compounds. Right. So one example is shiitake. Mm-hmm. So shiitake is associated with a condition called shiitake dermatitis. Mm-hmm which is a skin rash which develops and has been reported 
from uh, many countries now around the world um, from people eating large quantities of shiitake mushrooms. But in every case, it's fresh shiitake mushrooms. So as long as you cook them, another one is enokitake or enoki mushrooms. Again, they contain flamutoxin, which is, is, as its name suggests, toxic, but is detoxified again by cooking. So both from the point of view of bioavailability and from the point of view of detoxifying some of these compounds, I would always encourage people to cook them. Right, right. Could you possibly just briefly go through, I think there's like four or five different types of mushrooms, um, which which you see as supplements. Um, could you just, you've sort of gone into detail about the chemistry of them, but could you just go through those sort of like four or five main supplemental mushrooms that you see and what they're specifically kind of good for, so that people perhaps listening might have a little bit more of an idea what's going on? Okay, well, um I mentioned uh, lion's mane uh, a couple of times, which yeah. is good. It's good, first of all, for neurological um, functioning and also for nerve, for repair after nerve damage, mm-hmm. uh, so injury. And it's also good for the gut. So it's mm-hmm. traditionally been used for gastrointestinal problems, gastritis, gastric ulcers, but also um, you know, gut membrane irritability. Mm-hmm. So it's been shown to have a positive uh, impact on uh, the stomach uh, and the uh, gastrointestinal tract. So for digestive issues, that's a very good one. Uh, cordyceps, we I mentioned, mm-hmm. and that has traditionally been used for kidney and lung issues. Mm-hmm. So it's been used for kidney damage or Uh, to support the adrenal glands. It also has been shown to promote the generation of uh, testosterone Mm -hmm. and estrogen. Mm -hmm. So it's been shown to promote steroidogenesis. So it has been looked at in relation to its use um, for athletic, for performance enhancement Mm -hmm. um, in athletics and and was used by the record-breaking Chinese female athletes of the early 1990s as part of their supplementation regime. Although the fact that they were subsequently unable to reproduce the performances in uh, international uh, international competitions um, has subsequently thrown doubt on uh, the... um, uh, the nature of those performances. <laughs> yeah, but, a super squeaky clean record. What? <laughs> well, yes. They're, 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 nowadays in athletics, you always need to have a slightly a jaundiced. <laughs> I think uh, well, it's unfortunate, but uh, yes, they're, they're, it hasn't, hasn't always been squeaky clean. Um, but it has been used as a in athletic performance. Um, and also, though it has been shown in laboratory studies with animals to improve um, their exertion ability to, uh, to to sustain physical exertion. Right. So there is evidence to support its use as a performance uh, enhancing uh, drug. And also, you know, it's been used in that performance enhancement in terms of sexual performance also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that aspect of the kidneys, the kidneys in Chinese medicine are relate, related to sexual function. And so cordyceps has traditionally been used for enhancing you know, sexual function, sexual performance, as well as being used in some cases of infertility, you know, particularly where you have low hormone levels or in men where you have uh, reduced levels of sperm count or sperm quality. So that's uh, an important area. An application for for women in menopause, for example, as well, perhaps? There is some evidence that it can help to help with osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in terms of the typical symptoms of the menopause, interestingly, the mushroom, which is more uh, beneficial in that regard, is lion's mane. Mm -hmm. 
which is not something that lion's mane is typically associated with, but just um, empirically, clinically, you know, very often women taking lion's mane for other reasons mm-hmm. will find that the severity of their menopausal-related symptoms, you know, hot flushes, insomnia, anxiety, will also decrease. So lion's mane um, you know, definitely has a positive impact in that regard. Great. So we've addressed lion's mane, cordyceps. Um, lion's mane, cordyceps. Then we can't we can't not address reishi, right? Because reishi is the quintessential um, oriental mushroom, the quintessential Chinese mushroom, mm-hmm. the so-called mushroom of immortality. Right. That's the one that looks like a little brain, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, it looks not so much. Maybe you could, yeah, in certain certain uh, depictions it could be seen to look like a brain i think lion's mane sometimes it looks looks like a head or a skull a little bit yeah. Yeah. and its chinese name is hotogu which means monkey head mushroom right. um so but the reishi yes has a particular um shape and that is as is, is meant to called the um the mushroom of immortality or in Japanese mananatake the 10,000 year mushroom and that's because it has possibly the widest range of physiological activity of all the mushrooms due to not only its polysaccharides its highly active immune modulating polysaccharides but also over 130 triterpenoid compounds that it produces and it's these terpenoid compounds the ganoderic which largely uh, fall into the ganoderic and leucinetic acid families, which are responsible for a lot of its other effects because these compounds are strongly Mm anti-inflammatory, they're antioxidant, they're also Mm -hmm. antihistamine activities, they have anti-allergic properties. They also have an impact on the uh, ACE inhibitory, so they have an impact on blood pressure, cardiovascular function as well as having a sedative impact, so dealing with insomnia, anxiety. So all of these, this this broad range of health uh, benefits really means that reishi is often, certainly in China and the Far East, is considered to be the mushroom uh, to take uh, for overall health and well-being. Um, as well as quite often, you know, to be used for you know more serious conditions, and certainly anybody who has a degree of you know, suffers from you know allergies or uh, some allergic related conditions, taking it or inflammatory inflammatory conditions, including even autoimmune conditions, you know, like you know psoriasis or mm-hmm. uh, lupus or rheumatoid arthritis, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly autoimmune conditions with an inflammatory disease process, reishi is a fantastic uh, supplement in those cases. In terms of reishi, it is quite important. When you said earlier about going into a shop and looking at the reishi on the shelf and deciding which one to buy, it is important to, I think, always go for an ex- typically go for an extract of reishi mm-hmm. because, rather than a whole powdered mushroom or a, um, a non-extracted product, because the mushroom itself, unlike the shiitake or oyster mushroom or cordyceps or lion's mane, it's not a culinary mushroom. Okay. It's quite hard, it's quite woody, um, it's not particularly edible. The active compounds are present in relatively low concentration and need to be extracted and concentrated through extraction. Mm-hmm. to get high levels of polysaccharides and high levels of triterpenes. Right. And typically, that extraction would ideally be done in a dual-stage process with both water and alcohol. Right. So the polysaccharides are highly water-soluble, but not alcohol-soluble. And the terpenoid compounds are highly soluble in alcohol, but not that soluble in water. So to get high levels of both the polysaccharides and the triterpenes, it's desirable to use a a dual extraction process. 
So I would always look for that. Yeah, typically you do both separately. A tincture you do both together, if you like, and that then tends to um, precipitate because the alcohol will precipitate the polysaccharides out of solution. So with a tincture, you need to be aware of that. And also, a tincture is typically not a concentration; it's a dilution. That's true. Yeah. So you start with one gram of mushrooms and you end up with three grams, maybe. Or you start off with a 100 grams of mushroom and you end up with three grams of... Um, no, no, you end up with 30 milliliters of tincture right. on a one to three. Whereas if you're concentrating uh, through extraction, you'll start off with 100 grams of mushroom and then you'll end up, end up with six or seven grams of... Uh, oh, sorry. No, with a tincture, you start off with 100 grams and you end up with 300 mil. Right. <laughs> uh, whereas with a, uh, a concentrated extract, you start off with 100 grams, you end up with six to seven grams. Right. So you end up with a much more concentrated uh, supplement at the end of the day. So I, I you know, although tinctures you know, can be beneficial in terms of delivering. Uh, high levels of the key active constituents from mushrooms, I think using a, uh, a concentrated powder extract is a better way to go. Right, right. So we've covered those three. Are there any others which are which are sort of worth, worth really mentioning um, well, beyond those oh, that you just throw in? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, all, every mushroom, you know, has its uh, own... Um, particular you know, benefits so um, other mushrooms I mean one that uh, is probably is, is another one of my favorite mushrooms is snow fungus mm-hmm. or um, white wood ear and this is a mushroom which you can find in Chinese supermarkets its name in Latin is tremella fusiformis or in Chinese it's baimu er or yin er mm-hmm. And that mushroom, uh, when you look at the traditional indications for it, as well as being good for the immune system, it's traditionally considered to be good for cough. So particularly dry coughs, because it has a moistening and heat clearing aspect to it. But also it's considered to nourish the brain Mm -hmm. and enhance beauty. Oh, I definitely need some of that. (laughs) <laughs> so this is definitely one to be eating more of <laughs> because it does have uh, very uh, significant properties in those regards now in a number of number of cosmetic brands you're starting to see them using extracts of snow fungus extracts of tremella because of their moisture retention properties oh, okay and so externally, it shows benefits in terms of moisture retention, but internally, it's able to increase microcirculation. It benefits the walls of the blood vessels, uh, particularly the small blood vessels, and increases microcirculation to the skin. Right, so so it's, a re- it's not a, a hyaluronic acid-driven kind of uh, no. water retention then, which is temporary and uh, expensive and not really very good. <laughs> exactly. This is actually working, when taken internally, is working um, on nourishing the skin. Great. So particularly as one gets older and the skin gets tends to get drier and can get a little bit uh, red and redness and soreness, um, creeping in then snow fungus is a brilliant mushroom to help to reverse that so that's really uh, a very important area and it also has this impact on nourishing the brain Mm -hmm. so it's been shown in animal studies to again improve reverse learning and memory deficits in animal studies so what's not to like about it? Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> one, one question which, which does concern me because we, we have, you know, there, there is enough evidence to really support this as a potential problem is that um, a lot of people who get supplements from um, Chinese medicine supplements, mushrooms included, 
some of them are pretty contaminated with heavy metals and other toxins. Um, how can the consumer protect themselves and make sure that they're buying clean mushrooms? I would always advise buying organic. Right. Right. Um, so because they are actually then cultured locally now? Or? They're not cultured locally. They will then be cultivated probably in China, mm -hmm. um, if it's, you're talking about a whole mushroom fruiting right. body. But if, if they have been uh, imported into the UK um, under organic certification, then they will have had to be tested for heavy metals. Right. So uh, heavy metals and pesticide residues. So by buying organic, you know that the uh, the mushroom uh, has been uh, tested, so you can be sure that levels of contamination are, you know, well within um, normal or uh, levels considered to be healthy. I mean, you never have zero heavy metals if you grow right, if you, right. you know, grow vegetables in your garden. You're still going to get some, get some, Absolutely. but um, the levels will be, you know, well within. Um, normal uh, healthy uh, limits but yes i would i would try to buy organic whenever possible which you know is an issue though with um of course going into a chinese supermarket and buying dried mushrooms off the shelf they're not going to be organically right. uh, certified right. so yes but there are local companies now growing in this country um and so you know you can often source the fresh mushroom locally great um, for people who want to find out more about this subject, where where would you best direct them? I know that you've written a couple of books. I think you're also writing one on on cancer as well with mushrooms, correct? Um, yes. Well, the which, which is more which sort of uh, reading material is is more suitable for for a layperson rather than a practitioner? Well, the general as a as gen, general introduction to mushrooms and their uh, health benefits. Um, I wrote Medicinal Mushrooms, The Essential Guide. Right. And that just looks at 10 of the major medicinal mushrooms, looks at the areas where they've been shown to be beneficial. And it is designed to be very accessible. So it doesn't go into too much detail, doesn't, you know, doesn't quote some of the main uh, research, but doesn't isn't uh, exhaustive in terms of the research it quotes and tends to use the common name of the mushroom rather than the Latin name. Uh, the Medicinal Mushrooms, a clinical guide, is much more for, was written for doctors and other practitioners, and that has much more comprehensive um, overview of the research uh, and the references and uh, covers more mushrooms. It covers uh, 19, 20 mushrooms. Great. We'll put all the links um, to you and your books in, in the show notes if people want to want to research further. Martin, I see our, our time is slipping away. I am very conscious of, of using up your, your busy time. Um, is there any kind of take-home message that we haven't covered that perhaps you feel is important to communicate? Um, well, I would just you know, re again reiterate that I would encourage people to eat more mushrooms. Eat more mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Really look at them as a regular part of your diet, and you know, they will they're they're delicious, and will also be incredibly uh, beneficial in terms of supporting overall health. So, so just enjoy. Great, wonderful. I have three tiny little questions that I always ask all of my guests. Um, London Heal is all about mind, body, spirit medicine, and I like to wrap that up in the idea of health, happiness, and serenity. So for you personally, what's your personal definition of health? Yeah, sorry, sorry to be uh, go quiet on you for a moment. <laughs> no problem. Sinking time definitely allowed. Yeah. <laughs> There's no right or wrong answer. Is there? <laughs> I, I, uh, health is a state of for me is a state of balance. Right. Yeah, it's a state of balance, neutrality, mm -hmm. um, on all levels. Yeah. So, you know, to be mentally in a place of of balance. You know, in a state of, in a position, a place of uh, calm, um, to be able to act from that place rather than being 
you know, um, you know driven right. Uh, right and physically to be in a state of balance and so yeah, I, I think as part of you know, everyday practice, taking time out in whatever way to reconnect with that you know, balanced, neutral state is one of the most important things that we can do. Absolutely, absolutely. And what about happiness? What do you do to get happy? And do you actually think that the pursuit of happiness is something important? Well, I think that you know the same definition goes for happiness. Right. I think when you're in a balanced state, in a uh, a neutral state, when you are just being, mm-hmm. that state of beingness rather than doingness is what is what true happiness is about. I love that. That's brilliant. Absolutely. And the last one is serenity. I think in this crazy world that we live in where everything's on full 100%, 24-7, it's so important to kind of actively find turn down the noise. Do you have a specific practice or um, something that you do which allows you to, to do precisely that? As, as, as I, well, as I meant, just take, taking time out to reconnect with that... Um, Still, you know, calm inner uh, core mm-hmm. that isn't related to um, the outer busyness that we're involved with. We it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, running here and there mm-hmm. and chasing after outer uh, goals or being you know, pulled hither and thither by demands upon us. Um, we then, it is finding time. So meditation in some way, but I don't, I, I don't see, you know, meditation is just about reconnecting really, mm-hmm. you know, for me, it's not, it's not about striving for something outside yourself. Right. It's about reconnecting with what is there all along. Fabulous. Martin, thank you so much for your time and all your valuable knowledge. And I'd like to very much acknowledge the work that you do and bringing these wonderful substances and, and plants and fungi and your knowledge to, to the Western world so that we can use it and benefit from it. And uh, I very much appreciate that. Thank you. You're very welcome. And so, my dear listeners, I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did that so much health and goodness can come from the humble little mushroom. Who knew? Well, I guess we all do now. So get some more into your diet. And hopefully we have been able to clear up a little bit of confusion about which of the mushrooms you should choose when you're standing in front of that bewildering row of opportunities in your local health food store. If this episode was useful to you, then please, as always, we ask that you pass it on to the other people that may find it of benefit and also ask you if you would be so generous to support us by rating and reviewing us over on Apple Podcasts or indeed any other podcast platform that you listen to. It really does help us a great deal. Also, if you're interested in future episodes of London Heal and want to be notified and have access to extended show notes, please go over to londonheal.com, sign up to our mailing list and you'll receive notifications by email every time a new episode is out. And so, my dear listeners, that leaves me to wish you, as always, health, happiness and serenity.